0: If you want to learn a craft better or any domain, teach it to somebody, Mm -hmm. understand it better, teach it, but teach in such a way that people can grasp it at their level. And so for me, any new field, well, you know, I have many different, let's say, interests, you know, crypto I've been doing the last seven years is like, how do I teach this to people? You know, SEO with affiliate marketing, I've been doing that for seven years. How do I teach this to people? Because the act of teaching forces you to become a better student of that craft, right? So it's like, if you can't explain something to somebody, you really don't know for the most part what you're talking about.
1: Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an incredible guest lined up for you today. This gentleman is one of the men I admire the most in the world. He's fearless, he is intelligent, he actually engages in original thinking. And he's one of the most dynamic and successful entrepreneurs that has ever been the privilege of me to come across. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Amir Rosik. Welcome to the show, Amir.
0: Nicky, man, I need to hire you to do my (laughs) intros, bro.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sold, brother. Sold. Done. I'm available. Just kidding. So we're known for the good intros on this show. It's one of our trademarks. So Amir, It's it's truly an honor to have you on the show. I, I know you. I respect you. But my listener doesn't know you. And let me tell you who my listener is. My listener is, like you, an entrepreneur. And in that sense, they're very special to me because I believe entrepreneurs are society's greatest heroes. And my listener is somebody who is striving every day to win what I call the honorable battle within, the battle of me versus me, so they can bring their gift to the world, so they can help make the world a better place because of their vision, their innovation, their desire to make a difference. And they listen to this show because they want to learn from great guests like you how they can stand out from what one of my mentors, the one and only Nito Kubain, calls the sea C- of sameness. And in order for them to fully trust you, they need to get to know you, man. So you gotta tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Amir? Well, how far back do you want to go? However far back you want. Uh yeah. So I don't know. I got I
0: got a pretty colorful past. I've I've had many different lives and had many different, many, many, many interesting experiences. But I would say my entrepreneurial journey started from day one. Um, I'm that I'm that classical type of character that does not fit into the mold of society. Uh, even in elementary school, I barely passed. They actually just gave me a passing mark out of, I guess, kindness or whatever I want. And I couldn't sit in class. They wanted to give me, uh, it wasn't Ritalin. I forget the medication to calm down hyperactive. They called it ADD, but I don't believe in ADD. My mom well, had common sense. She never gave me those drugs. And I went off to high school. I still remember I was sitting in geography class, listening to a teacher, and I was asking myself like, "What like what the f- am I doing here?" You know, part of my French. But then and there, I'm like, "I'm done with this." And uh, I pretty much never went to my first year of school. Starting grade ten, they called me in and they said, "You're out" because I never went. I'm like, "Cool." And I remember I was sitting with a guidance counselor with my mom. Right before they kicked me, I was like, oh, you know, your life is going to be ruined, blah, blah, blah. You know, you need to get a degree. And at that point, yeah, I was like 15, 16, grade 9, grade 10, roughly. I was making really good money cash, like really, really good. And then I told them, like, what I need all this is like I'm making like literally four or five times more money than any of you guys in the school. Like, I've made it. You guys suck. And that's it, you know, for the, for the next like six, seven years, I've did it all, seen it all, had crazy stories. I've been... Shot at, stabbed at. I've had two ODs, you know, encounters with the law, you name it. Like, you know, around the age of 22, 23, kind of through sheer serendipity, saw an old friend of mine at the gym when I was training semi pro in MMA and boxing. And he was in affiliate marketing. And he explained to me, and I'm like, I get this business model. I already do it. It's commission sales pretty much, right? You introduce two people, you take your clip off of it. I got it instinctively and uh, i just dove in uh, you know this is back in the day where it's like jb zoo clickbank you know the whole nine yards of affiliate marketing this is when it wasn't really saturated where you can like spin up web 2 properties where you can do like online summits where you can generate email lists of like 100,000 emails in a month by doing these summits and i spent the next you know 7 years or so just really going into online marketing uh, affiliate marketing e-commerce marketing and uh, currently i'm in the uh, crypto space but yeah i've summer i've seen it all done it all and you know i'm only
1: 34. it's pretty crazy stuff and here's here's the thing that i want to say is the name of the show here is the thought leader revolution so the people we bring on tend to be thought leaders and let me just give you my definition of a thought leader which i borrowed from matt church an expert is someone who knows something A thought leader is someone who's known for knowing something, someone who the marketplace says, yeah, we get you are the preeminent authority in this space. And I see you as a thought leader. I see you as a thought leader who has been able to actually Become preeminent in multiple different spaces. First, as an affiliate marketer, second, as an online marketer, and now in the crypto space. Talk a little bit about that. Talk about why that's been important to you in terms of presenting yourself in the marketplace and achieving the successes that you have.
0: I don't think so is ever important to me. I have a deep yearning desire to teach. Like, if, some, if people always ask me if I wasn't doing what I was doing, what I would do, I would teach, I would teach for free. I enjoy teaching. And so, you know, Richard Feynman, one of the greatest physicists of our time, he has a great saying is like if you want to and he has a method for learning better. If you want to learn a craft better or any domain, teach it to somebody, Mm -hmm. understand it better, teach it, but teach in such a way that people can grasp it at their level. And so for me, any new field, well, you know, I have many different, let's say, interests, you know, crypto I've been doing the last seven years is like, how do I teach this to people? You know, SEO with affiliate marketing, I've been doing that for seven years. How do I teach this to people? Because the act of teaching forces you to become a better student of that craft, right? So it's like, if you can't explain something to somebody, you really don't know for the most part what you're talking about.
1: You know, that's very true. And it it also fits in with something called Glasser choice theory, right? And Professor Glasser created that. And he actually said the most effective way to learn something is to teach it. Mm -hmm. 95% of what you teach to someone else, you will retain deep in your bones and your DNA. Well, you'll only retain 10% of what you read and 20% of what you watch on YouTube, right? So if you truly are interested in mastery, you need to teach it.
0: Yeah, this is why I'm not a big fan of just read as many books as you can. I'm like, that serves no purpose whatsoever.
1: And yet you're a reader because I, I see the posts that you've put up and the people that you quote. Uh, you, you're not somebody who basically just ignores the knowledge that's out there. So talk a bit about that.
0: Yeah, I approach reading like there's not one size that fits all. So uh, one of the biggest books that impacted me for reading was a book by Mortimer Adler, Printed in 1934, 1939, called How to Read a Book. It dives into like the meta analysis or meta learning capabilities. And obviously, everyone's different. Like, if you follow neuro linguistic programming, hmm. people learn differently, right? You have, uh, you know, in my, I won't dive into it, but it shows you how to kind of like meta analyze a book. It's a book is not a binary relationship. A book isn't about, for example, me just opening up and reading word for word. A book is a relationship. I'll give you like the Cliffs Notes. First of all, you have to ask yourself the primary question of why did this author spend his or her time crafting this book there must be a reason so if you can figure out the modus operandi around that that gives you a lot of center of gravity to build your thesis around the knowledge base of your book second thing that you do is you analyze the table of contents like how did this author and and his or her publisher design the book what's the heuristic uh, flow of the book that's going to give you a bigger take and like all books 90% is fluff because they need it for publishing and to sell so 10% is takeaway most people think they have to take away everything from the book No. If you look at how to read a book, or if you look at most learning, it's one action step from the book. And so I combine a couple of things. I would before I even read a book, I would so this is my method. I would first find any podcast that author or let's say domain expertise person has been on. If not, then maybe like a TED talk or something. So I would listen to a podcast, give me a primer. I would get the book. I would would use the how to read method. So it's like opening it up, going to table contents, circling certain stuff, uh, bunny earring the the pages. And then basically what I would do afterwards is like sometimes I even take it to a third step. I'll take the audible to listen to it. And then I'll take an eight by 11 page and I'll just jot down my ideas, what I learned from the book. And I don't keep that page. I'll throw it away in the garbage. That's kind of the method that I approach when it comes to like learning something.
1: You know that's powerful, and I think it's important for everybody to figure out what method's going to work best for them in order to learn what a book or a particular thought leader has to say. Isn't that true? Yeah, you got to figure out what works for you, man. I
0: got friends of mine that can't read or like dyslexic; they just can't. So audio for them is the best. Like, listen, I like audio, but when it comes to comprehension, I don't remember ninety nine percent from audio.
1: So there you go, right? Audio audio isn't isn't going to work for you, and it isn't going to work for a lot of people. It's good to hear it but it, yes. there's no retention that, that that works for the vast majority of people from audio alone. Mm-hmm. No, that's brilliant stuff, man. Okay, so Amir, I want to talk about some of the concepts of thought leadership with you. And I want you to kind of relate that to your own experience in business and, and, and really comment on that, okay? So one of the things we say about you, if you're to be a thought leader, a preeminent authority in your space is, you need to do some original thinking. And the best way to do original thinking is you actually have to think about and create what we call intellectual property. You have to have thoughts that are a, a new spin on something or, or or entirely original in their own right, and you, you, those thoughts need to be directed toward helping solve problems that are out there in the world that, that a certain group of people, a niche market, a target market, if you will, care about. If you don't take the time to do this original thinking, you can't call yourself a thought leader. If you don't create IP, you can't call yourself a thought leader. But if you do, this is one of the ways in which the marketplace can really understand that you're somebody worth listening to. What are your thoughts on this? How have you demonstrated this in your businesses uh, ventures?
0: Yeah, so for me, I never, like I said, I never set out to be a thought leader per se. I don't even like to label myself a thought leader in any category. Like people label me as crypto. I actually cringe because crypto is not my only life. You know, I focus on like farming and psychedelics. I've been in the health space. So I have so many different areas, kind of, kind of more like, like a polymath. I think if someone is aiming to be a thought leader, what they need to do is remove that question to be a thought leader, more or less identify key problems within that vertical that you're in and really ask yourself the question is like, how can I take my personal experience, the knowledge that I've gained and how can I illustrate and craft a better framework or, her, or a heuristics, I should say, to communicate maybe a better type of proposal. I think most people just regurgitate there's nothing wrong with regurgitating. It goes back into the medium. So people have a gravitas towards personalities and ki- characters. This is why Hollywood and celebrity and influencers exist. Uh, but that's like kind of surf- surface level. There's not really too much substance there. And so whether you're, you want to be a thought leader in crypto or you want to be a thought leader in business or whatever niche you want to focus on, the moral of the story is like, how can you become a better communicator? Mm-hmm. That's what matters the most right? How can you take, you know, there's a good question someone said before. Is like, people always put Einstein up as a brilliant, but he's like, people don't really know Einstein was a horrible teacher. I mean, really, really bad. And so the question is like, okay, here's, who do you respect more? A person that may not have the individual intelligence of Einstein, or do you respect someone more that has the ability to communicate and educate a thousand people? Like Einstein didn't educate, you. he was a very bad educator. And so that's how I view anything that you do is like, how can you distill ideas? How can you cross-pollinate different ideas and put them in such a a heuristic or such a way that people just get it?
1: I really like that. Unpack heuristic. I don't know what that word
0: means. So heuristic in a nutshell, to simplify things, is a checklist, right? Uh, The brain works in a heuristic. Computer software works in a heuristic. Mm. It's like, if this, then that. It's uh, you know step one, step two, step three. And so this goes back to, let's say, I don't know, what would you say your audience is most in? It's like, you know, tech startups, like what, what industries do you think your audience is uh, focused in? My,
1: my audience is the majority, not all are thought leaders and aspiring thought leaders. These are people who have an expertise and use their expertise in order to help their fellow man and woman.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned something at the beginning. uh, I forget the guy that you mentioned, but most people, they fall into the default role of being mediocre. Uh, they become another number in a sea of saturation.
1: Sea of sameness. Dr. Nito Kubain. That's the guy I mentioned. Sea of sameness, yeah. yeah. It's, it's point on. It's like, okay,
0: here, here are you. You're joining the crowd of the next million people that are saying exactly the same thing. Why on earth should I listen to you? Uh, a great example of a thought leader, I don't even consider, I consider himself more as an amazing teacher, is Tim Urban from Wait But Why. Like I highly recommend everybody read that blog, Wait But Why, where you really understand why communication is the most powerful tool. Like his ability to distill knowledge and illustrate it in very simple pencil drawings, like a seven-year-old can read it. Hmm this is what matters the most. It's like, okay, cool. You have all this knowledge. You're just regurgitating what person A said, what person B said. What's so unique about the way that you communicate? How are you able to synthesize information and communicate it 10 times more efficiently than anybody else? That's the question you need to be
1: asking. That's a very good question, actually. So talk a little bit about how you do this for yourself inside your various enterprises.
0: Yeah, so for me, I, I like to focus everything on first principles thinking. So very similar, like what Ray Dalio does or Elon Musk does. Highly recommend Ray Dalio's book. Actually, I think his PDF is a little bit better because it gets right to the meat of things. You can type in a "principles PDF" on Google. It's about twenty-one pages, give or take. It's amazing. And so basically, it's like no matter what industry they go into, there's a first principle thinking. Meaning there is certain laws and certain principles that govern this vertical in the case of Elon Musk it's physics in case of crypto it's mathematics game theory computer science uh, let's say you're in the world of marketing right you're helping companies craft a better message or craft a better brand what are the principles of that and you can write down a list of principles and then once you have a principle this is unadulterated these principles don't change they're set in stone uh, in the case of marketing it can be like you know evolutionary psychology it can be psych- and it can be evolutionary biology this whole host of different principles when it comes to marketing uh, i view marketing in the form of evolution. you know evolutionary psychology or behavioral economics and so that's the principle of marketing behavioral economics. You know, everything else we do in marketing is just tactics and strategies to piggyback off of behavioral economics. So if you can understand cognitive biases of the human species, you understand marketing, even though you're not a marketer. So stuff like that, that's an example of first principle thinking.
1: I like it. I like it a lot. So listen, let's talk a little bit about online marketing today. It's a topic that's very, very interesting to me and to my audience. And I'll tell you why. Because... The world of online marketing today is not just saturated, but oversaturated. Like Mm -hmm. every day on Facebook, no joke, I run into 20 or 30 new people who purport to do some of the things that I do, which is to help experts, to help thought leaders grow their practices and make the difference they were born to make. They're even starting to use some of the things that I've been saying for years. It's harder and harder to stand out from a thousand different people saying, as you said, exactly the same thing. So given your vast experience in this space, how would you recommend as a case study, let's say, for us to stand out in the online marketing space so that we can help people that we want to help and for my listener to be able to stand out and not just sound like everybody else? Well,
0: let's say you're a marketer. Most people... Going back to what I said originally, most people would just regurgitate stuff. And if you're a marketer, you understand that there's different psychologies of different people. There's people that just want tactics, there's people that want done for you stuff, Uh, there's people that want to go into like the high level philosophy. Um, And so, that being said, like if you look at any marketing blog, most people will be like, well, you know, you got to do X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. I'm not a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of case studies. I'm a big fan of like, show me the results, right? So if you're saying you know what you're talking about, I really don't care about this one particular tactic. Instead, what would give me exponential more value as a business, whether it's a small business or a big business, is do a deep dive case study. I think people are just spitting out content for the sake of content and to get on this hedonistic treadmill, of feedback mechanism because some people may like it, some people may share it and that kind of fuels their behavior. A behavior that gets a positive feedback loop is a continuing behavior regardless if the behavior is good or bad. Like I want that to be set in stone everybody. That's like classical Pavlovian programming with pretty much all species on the planet. If I do X and X gets a reward, I will continue doing X. And so most people are pumping out all this content which is mediocre, getting some reward from it but at the end of the day, it's not getting the results they want. So what I would focus on, let's say I'm starting from scratch, like Nikki and Amir are building a consulting agency right now for marketing, I would set up three to five pro bonos uh, with companies. i would spend our time with them and they would be our case study. And when I mean by case study, I, would, uh, I mean like literally top to bottom, what we did, how we approached it, what problems we identified, how do we solve this problem? How do we implement this problem? You want to show everything because when somebody reads this, they're like, holy, Like they did it. This is how they did it step by step. And 99.9% of people will not implement. They'll be like, oh, I need a done-for-you service. Well, guess what? This is what we do. I don't see too much of that. I don't see massive case studies done from point A to point B, almost like a textbook example. Like this is the work that we do.
1: You know, I've never done a case study to that depth. I've talked about case studies at a very high level. So for example, I have a client, his name is Callum. And I'm actually going to be interviewing him on my show because Callum's a remarkable story, right? And all I've ever talked about is where Callum started. He started off as a personal trainer. You know, he was in debt. He wasn't making that much money. Mm-hmm. He made maybe three to five grand a month. He came, he did our program. We helped him stand out. So he didn't sound like, hey, I'll train you any, anywhere, anytime for this fee. We helped him like really find a niche, find a, a message for that niche. So he started working initially with fathers uh, you know, the dad bod uh, kind of phenomenon that's going on these days, guys become dads and all of a sudden they lose their, their physical fitness level. They become yeah, fat it, it, excuses. It, it happens a lot, bro. Like I'm telling you, it's no joke. Yeah, I know it, it, does, it happens I, a lot.
0: They, they justify It's called passing the ball. No,
1: no, a hundred percent. I'm not, I, we'll get to that part in a second, but it's a huge real thing, right? A lot of guys in shape become dads, I'd say probably 60 to 70% of them lose their shape. So he created a program specifically to help those guys, especially those guys who lost their shape and started experiencing back pain. So Callum's programs help you get rid of your back pain and get back into shape. So all of a sudden his business took off. He He got on a lot of clients. And then we said to him, hey, Callum, you're not charging enough. You're, you, you, know, you need to like raise your fees so the kind of clients you want take you seriously, right? If you charge too little, they're going to think you suck at what you do. So he started raising his fees. He raised them, he raised them, he raised them, he raised them. So lo and behold, before you know it, he added an extra like well into the six figures to his annual income, right? He'd never made that kind of money before. And he took almost four months off. Right? So he added a whole lot of money to his business. He took almost four months off and then he got so excited about what he did that he partnered up with some guys. He bought a gym. So now he has a gym and he's got like a wellness clinic in there with a chiropractor. So the guy went from being this, you know, fellow without a lot of confidence to right now, he doesn't even have to open his mouth. You can feel the confidence coming off of him and his business is just growing through leaps and bounds. But I've never even explained it at that level to anybody. I've just said, Callum came to us. This well, is how he about, was doing. Think
0: about how many people would benefit if you did a deep dive case study and show step by
1: step what you did. Right. You know, that's a brilliant idea. I've never thought of that, but I'm going to do it. In fact, we'll do it for about like uh, half a dozen people that we've worked with. Pretty freaking genius level. And then these case studies can be done like, you know, in the form of a like writing, like on a blog post, or or they can be done in, in an interview type setting like this one, right?
0: It can be interview, it can be PowerPoint presentations. Like I, I wanna know, like most people, they just talk out of their ass. It's like, well, I'm the best at X, Y, and Z. I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't buy it. Uh show me. Like, show me what you like. People think knowledge is like they have some special juicy knowledge. I'm like, get the out of here. You got nothing special juicy, juicy. It's like how you implement it. How do you communicate? You know, how are you good at understanding human behavior, human psychology to work with me? Right. And it's rare, like it's rare that people will pour out real case studies and the people that do have case studies, those are the people you should be looking at.
1: I like it, man. I like it. It's it's actually really, really brilliant stuff. So once you've got the case studies out there and you start to promulgate them into the marketplace, there's another aspect to thought leadership, which I think is really, really important. A lot of people who become an expert in an area, the challenge that they have is they stay wedded to their expertise and go, okay, I only do this. I only do it for this group. I only do it in this way. We say... That a thought leader is able to leverage the fact that they're a critical thinker into creating expertise in multiple domains like you have, taking that expertise to multiple audiences and delivering it in multiple ways. So let me give you an example. So friend Callum over here used to do just one-on-one personal training. That's all he ever did. Now that he's opened a gym in addition to one-on-one personal training, he has people that work for him that do personal training, so he makes money that way, and he's got a gym membership. So he's leveraging kind of the same group of people, but he's adding new revenue streams to working with them. And then he said, you know what, I'm not a chiropractor, but I'm going to bring a chiropractor on staff and have a wellness clinic over here. So in addition to one-on-one training, in addition to gym membership, we also offer wellness services to help people who are dealing with aches and pains. So this is one way in which he's dramatically increased his impact the, the scope of his reach and he's making a ton more money what are your thoughts on leverage as a principle of thought leadership and business success
0: well life's all about leverage but you have to approach it very strategically
1: you're right you know
0: people they pigeonhole themselves into a certain vertical and people know them as that and then they jump to another vertical this is why i've never labeled myself as an expert like people always call me like you know lately i'm in the crypto space i'm like I don't want to be known as a crypto expert. I'm just me, just, you know, whatever I do, that's what I do. But let's say you are, you know, let's I want to say a coach, but a thought leader or somebody who's good at implementing protocols for companies. You you got to look at a Venn diagram. You have to look at okay, the niche that you're in, there's obviously sub niches and other niches that have a cross-pollination. It's one thing to be like, well, uh, I'm an amazing marketer and then I'm then going to go and brand myself. I'm a, I'm a top coder. I'm like, well, I don't think so. <laughs> but let's say like you're a good thought leader in marketing. There's sub niches that go around that it's like uh, c- a com- company culture, right? Or how to hire better. Right. So then like I would, I would draw a Venn diagram of all these different sub niches to see the cross pollinations and then pick one of them and slowly go into it. It's a process. You can't just do it overnight.
1: You know it's 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 interesting that you talk about a Venn diagram because one of the things that we teach inside of our thought leadership work is that visual models are very important. Mm-hmm. And, and the Venn diagram, just coincidentally is the visual model we use the most. Now we also use ladder models, we use concentric circles. Uh, you know, we use the the kind of the square box where you go from box to box to box, kind of yep. you know the famous model in Stephen Covey's books. You know what I mean? Urgent, not important, urgent, mm-hmm. important, et cetera. So these these visual models are very powerful to help you communicate your ideas to people in a way that they can understand. So I really like that you believe in, the, in these models.
0: Yeah, I think visualization is super important. I think a lot of people have ideas and thought processes stuck in their head. they got to dump it out, especially if you can dump it out on a beautiful big whiteboard and just kind of map it out. It gives a clear thinking. It organizes your your RAM in your mind, um, and, can, and creates a better game plan. Right? I think most people get overwhelmed. So, for example, if you're a thought leader in X and want to go into Y, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance there. It's a lot of mental bandwidth, and you, it might get you too overloaded to kind of execute that. You know, paralysis by analysis. But if you can map it out in a good illustrated diagram and create baby steps, you know, actual tangible steps, it's your chances of success are much greater.
1: No, it's very true. It's very true because people don't like to be confused. One of the thought leaders whose work I've followed is a man by the name of Donald Miller. He created uh, Story Brand. He's got uh, Story Brand as a company, Story Brand as a podcast. And he has a saying that if you confuse, you lose. Mm-hmm. A- and it's confusion is a bad look for any brand. Yep. So, uh, Amir, I- I'm really enjoying this conversation. I'm getting I'm getting a ton out of it. So, how is it that you decide? what are the areas that you are interested in going after? Talk about your thought process around that.
0: Yeah. So I would say in the last 10 years, the areas of interest that kind of focus me or I I focus on is, you know, people use the word exponential. I like to use a word, I would say uh, ahead of the trend. So I, I don't, and for me, it's it's how I'm genetically wired. Everybody's different, so I like excitement. I like new fringe enterprises. I like stuff that no one's doing. Like I that that excites me. You know, one of the next verticals I'm super focused on, and most likely would do a business in, and it it's going to be in the psychedelic space. And so for me, it's like when I saw crypto, I'm like I'm a libertarian already, and I saw the potential that this technology has to help people, and it's been super early in it. I'm like. I'm sold. And so for me, knowing myself, knowing how I'm I'm hardwired, I tend to gravitate towards things more on the fringe side of things. You know, like if you told me right now, hey, I got this job for you where like, we're going to create this like e-commerce business and we're going to sell some product. I'm like, I don't even care how much money makes. That's boring. It it, it serves no purpose for me. Like, leave me alone.
1: Sure, 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 sure. I get it. Something that really excites you is, is the way you go forward. So- Amir, talk a little bit about your, your new podcast, Amir Approved. Uh, I, I find some of the guests you brought on that show fascinating. What made you decide to do this?
0: I'll tell you, number one, it gives me excuse to invite amazing people on my show to pick their brains or to have real conversations. Hmm. Um, number two is just the stars aligned, you know, the studio came about and, uh, just serendipity actually. Uh, but more or less it's like, I learn a lot by sitting down with people the most. You know, the most I've gained knowledge is where I have almost like a one-to-one teacher where we sit down for an hour and we'll doodle on a piece of paper or use our computer like that's how I absorb information the most. And another thing that people don't realize, excuse me, Toronto has amazing people like we have the godfather of AI over here, amazing tech sector over here, amazing professors in like evolutionary psychology and biology, mathematics, amazing entrepreneurs. And a lot of them don't see a lot of spotlight. You know, Toronto doesn't have to per se like a really big podcast scene yet. And so I want to, you know, I'm going to use this opportunity to interview these people. It's not even really an interview. Like if you've watched it, it's like just talking. Like I don't have a game plan. I don't have a format. Uh, I literally just go in and whatever pops into my mind. Uh, so that's kind of like the genesis around why I started it.
1: I like it. You've had some really interesting people on your show. Uh, UJ Ramdas, uh, the creator of the 5-Minute Journal, has been one of your guests. Yeah, my homeboy. Yeah, and that that was a pretty brilliant concept that he came up with. And it took off in a really, really big way. What'd you learn from interviewing someone like him? You know, you get tidbits of
0: insights, you know, you know, UJ is a little bit different because I know him for more than a decade. But I think the way that you are, I'm going to say, I think the way that you frame an interview is completely different than the way you would naturally talk with your friend. So in this case, UJ is my friend, right? So if I've met UJ for me, me and UJ go to coffee, there's a different dynamic as opposed to I'm inviting UJ onto my show. You hear me? You know, you you get what I'm trying to get at, right? So the the, the paradigm is different. And so when I was interviewing UJ, for me, it's like the one takeaway is like understanding to be a little bit, a little bit more uh, you know, for me, I, I, I always consider UJ to be a cerebral assassin, like he's so cerebral. Everything's audited, everything's analyzed, and he's deep into meditation. That's his natural, natural DNA. And so for me, like, that's always one of my things that kind of I take away no matter when I talk with him, whether it's on my show or whether it's in person. It's like, how can I be a little bit more cerebral? How can I ask better questions to get better answers?
1: I like it. I really do. He sounds like a fascinating guy. I'd really like to have him on my show as well. I think what he what he's doing is great. What he's done is fantastic. And I think my audience would get to learn a lot about uh, his thought process and how he's applied it to stand out as a thought leader. Because the five-minute journal is a brilliant piece of thought leadership, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Totally. No, it's fantastic. Okay, so Amir, we like to close off each and every one of our podcast episodes by asking you, our guest expert, for your top three expert action steps that you recommend the listener to this show take on in their life so they can live life as the best version of themselves. So what say you?
0: Okay, so I'm just going to speak on stuff that works for me. I like to base a lot of my thinking on on science. So genetically, how you're wired, uh, epigenetically, your environment, uh, evolutionary psychology, biology, the whole nine yards, like scientific approach, obviously mixed with your own spice into it. The first suggestion or recommendation I have is like, I would definitely recommend people do some form of whether well, it's like disk profiling, person I recommend for this would be Steven Sisler, one of the best in the world. So Steven Sisler, just Google that, Steven Sisler, disk profiling, and really understand that, for better or worse, and <clears throat> in my thinking, it's for much better. Like I mean, like when you get to know yourself, how you're wired, it's a superpower. So generally speaking, you behave in a certain bell curve. It fluctuates. There's a spectrum, you know, from one till 10, let's say. But generally speaking, that's your natural, innate gifts. This is how you're genetically wired. Right. You know, in my case, I'm I'm I like independence. Uh, I like to be an individual. I, I don't I like to join the crowd. I like, a, you know, action like I, I, this is this is me without any nurturing. This is how my genetics from day one is. And obviously there's, like I said, there's room for kind of like a spectrum in that with, with nurture. And so first step is really understanding how you're programmed. Mm. Like I'm a firm believer in like true free will doesn't exist. I think you're pre-programmed to behave a certain way. And so identifying how you behave, like I'm not the most detailed person. Like I'm not the type of person to dot the I's and cross the T. So like I can spend my whole life trying to become more cerebral or trying to become more detailed. That's, I'm doomed to fail from the get-go. I am not programmed that way whatsoever. I'm a starter. Uh, I like to just go in. I'll figure out how to build my wings when I'm falling off the cliff type of of person, right? I know that of myself. So that's the first step, understanding how I'm wired. Number two, doesn't matter how much thinking that you do or how much planning you have on paper – Unless you have the proper environment to behave in the way that you want to behave, you will fail. And I'll repeat that again. Your environment dictates how you behave. And so you can sit here all day and plan how to do something. I'm start this business or be a thought leader. But if your environment where you have a partner that's hating on you constantly, that's not going to work. If your environment where you're currently working at your job and your job is just completely killing you, that's not going to work. So you need to audit your environment. You need to audit what is going on in my environment. No different than you and I audit our business, right? We do quarterly reviews. We do OKRs. We do KPIs. We look our P&Ls. You know, you got to do your own audit for your personal life. So you got to audit what's your relationship if you have one. Well, everyone does. Your relationship with yourself is the most important uh, number two, you know, where do you live? How's how's your work life? Like all this stuff. Like you got to audit it. Then once you've audited it, the third tip I like to recommend, and this goes to Buddhism, is don't have high expectations. Expectations are the things that make people depressed and miserable, right? We have this perceived notion that like, oh, I'm gonna make a million dollars. I'm like. Really, that's your goal, just to make a million dollars. I guarantee you won't make a million dollars. I guarantee you you'll probably make one one tenth of that. Don't have these expectations. Your expectations or your your success should be focused on the actual process. There is no end, as they say. The process is the end, and the process is always ever-growing, ever-continuing. So focus on the process. Don't focus on the expectations. This is why we are miserable. You know, We have an expectation of how our partner should behave or how our partner should look, and it doesn't fill our expectation. We get depressed. We have an expectation that we should make a million dollars. We don't get there. And this goes back into how your neurotransmitters are set and your hormones are set. This this literally causes a bad negative feedback loop in your DNA (laughs) and your epigenetics for future failure. And so if, if you don't have this expectation... It clears a path of unexpected. That's when the magic happens, the unexpected. If you're ready to give up the the, the plan that you have, then that's where magic happens, right? So just working on yourself. So let me repeat. Number one, doing a DISC profiling test. It can be like DISC or or Myers-Briggs. I highly recommend the DISC profiling from Steven Sisler. He's the best. Number two, auditing your environment, making sure that your environment is conducive to how you behave. And then number three, removing expectations and just focusing on the
1: process. You know what, Amir? Those are... Perhaps the most brilliant expert action steps that any guest has ever given me, or at least they're the ones I was most ready to hear today. So thank you for that. They're fantastic. And listener, Amir's podcast, Amir approved, is phenomenal. You want to Google this podcast. How else can they find this podcast, Amir? Uh, the best
0: is yeah. So if it's iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, just Amir approved. If you go to YouTube, so it's video too. Uh, just go to Amir approved or Amir Rosick my name, and you'll find it.
1: Awesome, awesome. I love it. Look, listener, you can see that Amir is the real deal. And you might be thinking to yourself, Wow, Nikki, Amir sounds awesome. Can I be like Amir? Can I go out? there every day and really live life as the best version of myself. Can I bring my gifts to the world in the biggest, best way possible? And if you've got a smidgen of doubt in your head, I want you to listen to me and take heart. Of course you can. And if you would like some help, if you'd like some inspiration, if you'd like somebody to like lock arms with you, do this. Go to my website, go to ecircleacademy.com. There's a button In the top right hand corner, it says book your success call. It's absolutely free. There is no obligation. I am not a 50s guy, a fuller sales brush guy. There is nothing we're going to do on that call except talk about you, what your vision is, and how it can be turned into reality. And listen, if you, if you and I decide during that call that, hey, we like the cut of each other's jib and we want to keep talking, we'll keep talking. Maybe we'll end up doing work together. But the purpose of the call is to serve you, to help you see your greatness and live from your greatness. So make sure you take advantage of that. Okay. Amir Rosik, my man, thank you so much for being on the show, brother. It's been a real privilege and an honor to have you on. My pleasure, man. Thank you. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only Amir Rosik, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Go to the show notes. Go check out Amir Approved. It's amazing. His guests are amazing, and he's raw, and he's real. And... To get on a call with myself, to have somebody believe in you and lock arms with you and give you the inspiration to get rid of that doubt, go to ecircleacademy.com and click on the button, in the top right-hand corner that says book your success call right now. Until next time, goodbye.